I wasn't sure if I was going to do a video for this podcast, but now I'm sure that it needs to just be my voice, because the only thing that's important about what I have to say are the words that I choose in this episode. This episode is about labels and the conformity that they prescribe. In 2019, Who I Am by Public Decree is a white, cisgendered, entitled, privileged, middle class, alt-right, not because of what I say or how I look, but simply because of what other people believe. I have very little choice and even less control over these public beliefs that act as judge, jury, and executioner based on the unaware reactions of anyone who may be my enemy at any given moment. These enemies are not my enemies. I learn of them whether I am walking down the street, checking out at the store, or sharing my inner thoughts on a public internet forum. I am afraid to have a name. I am afraid to have a skin color. I am afraid to have a hairstyle. I am afraid to have a tattoo. I am afraid to have an opinion. I am afraid to have a belief. I am afraid to have feelings. It was not always this way. I remember at one time, I was just a small boy trying to understand why other people's feelings did not feel like my own. Why my emotions did not give me the same feeling responses as other human beings. I desperately wanted to be like others, to be liked, to have friends, to be loved, to fit in. And there was honestly no reason that this shouldn't have happened. Except for logic. I grew up in a middle class home, very secure, hardworking father, and a loving mother. I had all the privileges and entitlements 
on paper of a white middle class male family with a steady job and even when there were times of transition a father that was willing to work hard enough until another stable job came along there was health insurance savings accounts there was every privilege needed for a middle class child to have everything needed on paper I even had two loving parents who spent as much time with me as a stay at home mother could afford and a father that had the weekends off and holidays and vacation time could afford to spend time helping with homework and setting off bottle rockets back when that was still mostly unquestioned but still something was awry very early on in my memories I remember there being a great social debate on whether or not sugar or fat was good or bad which one was the culprit this was less important to me than the rising anxiety that was happening regardless of if I was eating sugar or not the anxiety seemed to rise regardless of whatever choice my mother made for me the anxiety got worse and worse eventually there needed to be answers and the answers were abundant different times in my life I was absolutely ADD I was absolutely OCD I was absolutely ADHD I was absolutely Tourette's I was absolutely bipolar disorder that happened to be the one that kept me stable or sedated the best depending on the preference and terminology because anyone who is sedated is stable needless to say the activity of my constantly processing brain that was a thing of awe when I was a child and a young teenager but much past that it was a thing of horror to adults so sedation seemed like the best option not to my parents but to the experts that believed absolutely what they were told was absolutely right because they were just following all the rules this is not their fault it is the fault of a system not a medical system but a system of thinking that tells us that it is bad to be wrong that we have to save face first find a perfect explanation and reasoning before we ever question things 
This is how atrocities are committed through history. Out of fear of having a voice. This anxiety rose in my system. My symptoms did as well, despite the sedation. My brain activity still craved to learn, but had no motivation to do. Practice this cocktail long enough, and you have a very thought-provoking conversationalist that does nothing. It seemed like, in these younger years, the only thing I could do was worry. Worry what other people thought. Worry what other people would think if I did something. Worry what other people would think if I didn't do something. Worry if I fit in. Worry if I didn't fit in. Worry if I was too much like everyone else. Worried if I was not enough like everyone else. Eventually, this fear of doing that I adopted from everyone else in the world who is not telling me what to do, but showing me what to do. I was a normal, rebellious teenager. I didn't want to listen to what anyone said. I cared more about actions. And everyone's actions spoke loud. Don't do anything risky. It seemed like all my mind cared about was doing risky things. I was an artist. I was noticed by the Columbus College of Art and Design at an age that was to prepare me for a career in the arts after compulsory schooling. Until things took a turn for the best. I was out of hope and I was looking for risky solutions. After a history in a mainstream religion branded with scandal in the 90s, my mother took the risk of leaving that mainstream religion before this was an accepted idea. Spending years of explaining things that other people could prove that she was crazy, eventually time validated her. But without clear spiritual guidance an emotional guidance that was as erratic as my moods were at best. The intellectual pointed us back to religion. This seemed like the best possible option, bringing balance to my emotional health and my mental health and my intellectual health with spiritual health. What better option could there be? Quickly I learned that I had a lot to learn. But it was okay as my mother was there with me in another mainstream religion 
extremely nice, extremely exciting experience to know that we were on the path to absolute truth. And me interested in taking risks, especially in business, I was very excited about the fact that many of these people in this religion were the heads of organizations up in the inner workings of top industries around the world. Never at the top, this was attributed to humility, which I understood from focusing on emotional intelligence. Quickly, I memorized how to be nice, how to be religious, how that spirituality without order is equatable to sin. Eventually, a miracle happened. I knew enough to start conforming. I was about 17, almost 18 at this time. And realizing that I could replace the negative thoughts with positive, excited, happy thoughts. This was obviously the best option. Then I attempted suicide. Then I attempted suicide again. This was a shock for those around me. But it seemed like a huge failure for me. Because despite the fact that I was happy, feelings were not the same as the emotions which were not following the feelings. My emotional well was drier than ever. It seemed like I was the one failing when everyone else around me was having real joy, was having real fulfillment. And their happiness was proof that I was broken. The attempts were only a choice to catch my physical body up to where my spiritual and emotional heart were. Although I had a physical heartbeat, my emotional and spiritual heart was flatlined for years. Eventually, I gave up and started asking for real answers, realizing I couldn't take this dualism that was so right for others but was not working for me. This came to a breaking point when I saw something going horribly wrong in a close friend's life. 
and when confiding in this reality, asking for advice and guidance. I was eventually told that it would work itself out and that it was the right thing to have told. Eventually I learned that time was not on my side. My friend called me up telling me what had happened in their life, asking me if I was involved. I stayed silent, not wanting to be dishonest, but being afraid that my honesty would shatter their happiness and excitement of my friendship. Eventually, pretty immediately actually, I went back seeking even harder answers, harder questions to answer. I asked, what do I do? I can't tell the truth without blowing up a friendship. And I was told something that rocked my world. Sometimes lies are justified. I don't remember the exact words. The exact words don't matter because I know for sure that I was encouraged to lie to save the friendship because in the end, I was doing the right thing. This confused me to no ends as doing the right thing should be able to be an honest thing, should not have to hide the right thing. And I clarified this and was reminded that not everyone knows what's best for them. This was completely counter logic, but it was reasoning through love. Eventually, while stewing on this, I was aware of a paradox of morality that I was not sure of. But watching other people's actions again, I started to see that this practice was commonplace. And of course, it must be right if everyone's doing it. Eventually, sacrificing morality and honesty for doing the nice thing, this became my norm. I still had the thoughts daily of suicide, but it was easier for me to lie to myself that this was the norm, that unhappiness could be drowned out with manic, excited happiness that everyone was practicing. Eventually, the more time went on, the more I found I had to justify to be like everyone else. On the surface, others would constantly tell me that it was not justification, that it was the right thing. 
in many different ways, in many different conversations. On the surface was one thing. Below the surface was another. I had dozens and dozens of people over the years come to me about their inner shames. These inner shames were feeling like they had to put on a face for the world. Not everyone was in the same religion I was in. Needless to say, most of the people that came to me were in this religion that was such a a large but also close-knit community wherever you went that I'd say most of my people were those people. But the same stories kept popping up regardless of the religion, regardless of the faith, regardless of the belief system they followed, whether their belief system was, you know, it's... It was culture or whether it was a a company or whether it was, you know, a sports team or what it was. They would always be talking about these hypocrisies that made them the bad guys. And I started to realize hypocrisy is not good or bad. Good or bad is based on perspective. Hypocrisy is what it takes to change. This is why the people who are desperately trying to change and did not know how were telling me the same things they were being told but were not able to practice it in their life. They were just better at hiding it than me. Questioning whether or not they were doing things right because their life seemed happy but had no joy. Their life seemed nice, but the love seemed to fade. And I started to question my reality and my chosen collective reality and other people's chosen collective reality. I've had people from multiple faiths find me to talk to me about whether or not they're doing the right thing by going to school, by being in their religion, by being religious at all, by being gay in a religion, by being bisexual in a religion, by being, you know, gay and being Republican, by being Democrat by being whatever it is that their chosen belief system of morality was. And I started to realize that when I asked people to listen, they would not listen to me nor themselves. And when I didn't, when I didn't, Think to talk first to drown out the doubts. Other people would talk to me about theirs. But I did something different than others. I listened. It seemed to be the only thing I was good at. 
to the point that I realized that if I didn't try and make it seem like I wasn't listening to people, if I didn't try and make people not want to talk to me, that maybe I would stop hearing the same things over and over. It doesn't matter if people are in a cult or not. We have this culture mentality that I realized is cross-religion. It is in every single organized religion. It is in every single organized political party. It is in every single organized company. It is in every single organized nonprofit. Varying on the size of the cancer growing within. The cancer are not the people questioning things, but the people who say that there is nothing to question. This is the paradox. Those questioning their collective realities are the ones aware of a moral dilemma that other people are not aware of yet. Through time, I have seen those who were true believing in their faith, in their practiced political party, in their practiced company, in their believed in nonprofit. I have seen people who were once true believers have their resolve crack. The foundation, the very foundation, not a broken window, not a leaky roof, but the very foundation they were starting to realize was cracked. And more and more, I started to realize people were admitting in their own words that there was no foundation at all. My father taught me from day one the most important thing when you're building anything is a firm foundation. This holds true to sky rises and human beings. The problem is, is there's too many people to have an intervention with when everyone practicing cognitive dissonance outnumbers the people who are asking them to question their realities. It's an illusion of numbers. It's the law of numbers in reverse. It's a paradox where reason has replaced logic, which is not good. Because reason, reason that is not based in logic will find absolutely why their illogical reason is better, is for the greater good. This only takes time added to that equation for it to erode and for people to realize that the cracks in their foundation are actually evidence that there was no foundation at all or that the foundation had eroded away long before they ever started setting up shop. This is a problem in a world where I always seem to be the weird one 
for liking history and following stories and caring about context, not caring about a single story, but how all the stories connect together. This is almost like looking at history like a woven piece of cloth and trying to call it a string will only tear it apart because if enough people believe that a piece of cloth is just a string, they're not going to realize that pulling out that string, trying to find the linear pattern in it is actually tearing the entire fabric apart. These are the things that I think about. These are the things that drive me and what I found out tens of millions of other people around the globe, more so people in the impoverished nations that have access to the internet to educate, that don't have the narratives of the Western civilizations. And they practice unknowingly Eastern philosophy with an abundance of information. This is something that Socratic method schooling does not do. Not only that, they cannot do it. So even the question of will they do it is a scarecrow. Because if they do, they lose control. What is control? Is it something people practice over us? Is it something we practice over itself? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It is a tool. It is a tool that has a very powerful, good branding message. Self-control is considered to be the most positive thing. Unless you read somebody like Robert Greene, who talks about the import of self-mastery, the same way Marcus Aurelius did with Stoicism, the same way Jesus Christ did in the four Gospels. Self-mastery is above self-control. It is what ties self-control into being one with the world. It is not us versus them. There is only us. But the more I talked about these things, the more I was called crazy, the less crazy I felt, the more I questioned whether or not I was right or wrong about being crazy. Because I had been conditioned for so long to consider my thoughts crazy, which was dangerous when my thoughts were surrounded by happiness and excitement, and even those guiding me in my emotional intelligence told me not to partake of the excitement and happiness that was not the same thing as joy, was a cheap knockoff to joy and peace. Happiness is a con man's game. A plan of happiness is a plan of misery in the long term. This is why so many people 
that I was trying to emulate for my entire adult life had their lives break around them. I've had close people that I wanted to be exactly like eventually given enough time show me that although they said they were spiritually happy and they were absolutely mentally intelligent were void of emotional intelligence. Most of them had interest in it sporadically, but continually. Their spiritually intelligent leaders started to show them that they were more concerned about mental intelligence as the spiritual intelligence that they were teaching would not tolerate the emotional intelligence that they were learning elsewhere. And this was said nicely. And this was said with an air of authority. But it ended up proving not true in the long run, showing that they had no spiritual intelligence, that they were in mentally intelligently mastered at making it sound like they had spiritual intelligence because they were spiritually knowledgeable, that's for sure, but they were not spiritually intelligent or else they would tolerate all emotional intelligence. And they did not directly fear monger against emotional intelligence. They did not have to. They had the authority. They only had to cast doubt. I've had friends that have read books on emotional intelligence and then start to question them given enough time because it goes against the spiritual knowledge that they were taught to remember. I've seen time be the ultimate test of everything. Time is the test of what nations provide good results. Time is the test of what nations are only proclaiming to provide good results. Time is the test of what companies are built on hopes and dreams and which ones are not. Time is the test of what currencies last in this world and which ones are an utter scam. Time is the test of whether or not morality is based in logic or collective reasoning. Just as I was deciding to buckle down and go all in and stop doubting the reason with this worldly logic, I went all in on the religion. And this is when the signs started piling up. First, it was an illusion broken. 
friends that I had that did things outside of marriage, did things outside of their sexual preference, all out of frustrations and pressures and anxieties that were normal, exceedingly normal, and exceedingly reasonable for any intelligent person. I've known people to realize that they got married only for the sex. And after a while, it wasn't even that good. And when that lust went away, they realized they had two choices, to admit they were in a loveless marriage or to make it all about lust. I've seen evolutions and combinations of infidelity, of micro-infidelities, the justifications, the justifications that are like dick measuring of who can cut off more of their dick and which one is better because they've cut off more of their dick or which one is worse because they've cut off more of their dick. It is so delusional, but absolutely reasonable because absolute truth, absolute rightness, absolute commitment matter. Matter more than peace and joy, sanity, stability, stable happiness. I eventually realized when I took radical measures against my anxiety, the doctors that had been helping me for years finally admitted that something outside of what they were able to teach was working. I realized that they cared and they were not legally allowed to care in the way that they were happy that I found outside of their instruction. Not all of them. Eventually time showed me which ones really cared and which ones were practicing being nice. And the more evidences I had that the people I was surrounded with were in generations of dysfunction, living in cognitive dissidence of infidelity, fear of infidelity, loveless marriage, sexless marriage, hatred of oneself, hatred of one's spouse, hatred of one's children, Hatred of one's parents, but needing to pretend to love others by being nice and forgiving and not being able to process emotions by bottling up feelings. Not having the emotional intelligence to know the difference between feelings and emotions and emotions and that feelings do not lead to emotions, feelings result of emotions. Bottling up feelings and hoping to feel emotions without processing either will only lead to the chasing of feelings. And when things are still, when things are silent, the emotions are dead. And excitement or stimulation, or something is needed. 
I started to realize that I had a choice to either go all in and try and brainwash myself with what I committed to because absolute commitment was truth. Absolute obedience was for the greater good. And then I started looking for more, realizing that I had spent a long time finding people that I was attracted to physically and intellectually. But the more I got to know them, I realized emotional intelligence was nicely dismissed and was nice that I used it, but was not for them for lots of really, really sympathetic reasons. But there was no empathy. The more I went, the more I realized that I was going to have to settle for somebody who didn't care about emotional intelligence, lie about myself for the rest of my life, resent the fact that I was doing things the right way. But because I knew of emotional intelligence, I would have to sacrifice that happiness that I knew would be there if I found somebody with emotional intelligence. And before I gave up on this, this collective reasoning that was not just in my religion, but in so many of what I call religionisms of the world that have far less to do about spirituality than they do the practice of collective reasoning. Religionism is collective isms, interconnected isms, people looking for the nice thing, the easy thing, and finding their collective digital cult that needed no central organization. Religionism is a result of digital connectedness with telephones, social media. Ease of connectivity has redefined the word cult from being something that is small, doctrinal, organized to something not centered around a single person or a single doctrine, but the emotional unintelligence of individuals. This emotional unawareness in the cognitive dissidence experienced when presented with emotional awareness. The problem is, is every religionism seems to avoid the truth they need by calling it Sinful by calling it conspiracy theory, by calling it wrong, by calling it illegal, by calling it, you know, anti-something. But really, the only thing it's anti is ego. Before I made the choice to leave, first I went all in.
with my commitments to the religion and then my commitment to find a partner in it. And for a year, I went on over a hundred dates. I moved to the epicenter of this religion to experience as many people as I could. And continually, I met resistance to emotional intelligence. The most disheartening thing was the ones who understood emotional intelligence. I had the unfortunate entitlement to not be attracted to them. This was the irony of my reality. That the only people who cared about emotional intelligence, I was not attracted to enough to make it work. Was this selfish of me? Perhaps. But before I had... before I had to make the choice of whether or not I needed to sacrifice more of myself for the greater good. Someone walked into my life. Outside of my religion, connected on a mutual passion of food, specifically sushi. This was quite literally the girl of my dreams. For years of being told I should not entice myself with what I wanted and calling lust love and love lust, I had begun to to demonize the type of woman she was based on outward appearance. Eventually, over sushi meals, I started to realize not only would she truly listen to my thoughts on emotional intelligence, but she wanted to discuss them more. She wanted my advice on things that I was not very good at doing, but very good at thinking about. Realizing I knew I needed a partner to really practice emotional intelligence and that I could not get it right for more than three or six months at a time with six to 12 months of recovery in between. This was entirely frustrating, but knowing that I, unlike others, was half of a whole. I know many others that are a whole unto themselves. These are many of the people that I met who confided in me. And realizing that the more time I spent with her, the less of the thoughts that were normal, acceptable for someone with my condition, were going away. The more confidence I had to do when I saw that the advice I was giving theoretically to her situations she cared enough to do. So efficiently, it gave me the confidence in myself that maybe this isn't as hard as I believed it to be. And I started doing. Eventually, the suicidal thoughts started going away. The anxiety started melting away. I started making better choices in the long run. 
Needless to say, this created more divides in my life. Mentors and guides in the religion were saying the opposite of logic. And those whispering logic all around me that were below my acceptable bar. This obviously defied my logic. But it also defied my chosen reason. And I had to realize that I made a choice when I, like many others, were not taught logic. And when eventually I was given a book on logical fallacies, a very short book, these are essentially the principles that all religions start with, but over time, the dogma doesn't like the logic as much and they create a reasonable idea to replace the logical principle. And less and less popular it becomes to teach logical fallacies. Because if people aren't aware of logic, reason becomes inseparable with logic. But they are not mutually inclusive. I eventually learned this when I realized that people around me did not have to have what I was told was absolute truth to be good people. And the more... I succeeded at emotional intelligence and cared less about the failures, which made it easier to succeed more because I was no longer feeling like a failure when I failed. And this helped me succeed more when time was added to it. Eventually, I made the radical decision to marry this woman, but not leave the religion behind completely. She had faith that I would figure out me and trusted me more than the reason she was taught. She understood that I was doing good things and things would work out. And I believe the same things too, but on the opposite end, I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to be wrong or if she would convert to my absolute truth that I was having trouble letting go of. Eventually, I found the evidence that I chose to believe in. Those words are important because when it comes to our personal truth, it's a choice. There is no such thing as absolute truth. We either make our personal truth align with an absolute truth that somebody else declared was absolute truth based on their personal truth. Or we do what's right by us, those we love, in the life we want to live based on logic and morality.
Over this time, I made more and more radical decisions. Moving out of the country with my wife, realizing that I was wrong about our next door neighbors in the country I grew up in, and that there was radically less anxiety. And when I let go of the fears, I realized it was equally as safe as any suburb I had lived in. And even the busy cities were only as dangerous as, I'd say, Class B cities in my home country. This was a radical realization that I had been duped. And the anxiety was going away at a rapid rate. Communication became easier. Listening became easier for both me and my wife. Then we made another radical choice. To move out of this house in another country. And in with the in-laws. I was told this was a bad idea that if I needed help, just tell tell some I needed to stop doing what I was doing if this is how things were turning out. This is not proof of, you know, things going right. These were the people that were in my inner circle. And I realized that I desperately wanted to believe that they cared about emotional intelligence But when it was time to put their money where their mouth is, they proved that they could reason their way out of logic and morality and good choices and claim to take the moral high road. Blame me for all the things they were worried that I was blaming them for. But how could I blame them when I was feeling like just yesterday I was doing the same thing. I was not judging them despite what their feelings were telling them. They couldn't hear my emotions because they were blinded by their own feelings, their own reaction. They felt betrayed that I was no longer validating them by trying to be exactly like them. And they told me I had changed and it felt bad and wrong to them. And I felt such immense sorrow, realizing that I had unintentionally duped them by trying to be like them and realizing that I was terrified that I did not want their lives. And I felt so ill-equipped because I did not have the authority needed for them to believe that there was a different way, that their intelligent construct of data and spiritual knowledge was making their spiritual intelligence worthless and their emotional intelligence non-existent. Falling for the trap of mental intelligence wants everything explained in 
simple within their reason. They want it to sound nice. The problem is, is when people are honest, mostly when they're frustrated or venting and apologize for it, any honesty sounds mean. Because if you don't say what you mean, then saying what you mean sounds mean. Time eventually proved this to me as well. And even so, the common cognitive dissidence response to this is, this is what I believe. It doesn't mean it's not truth. Every personal truth is a belief. The belief that there is absolute truth is a belief. It does not make it logically true, despite how much evidence is there to support the reason, despite how many people are there to claim that it is reasonable and that logic is the same thing as reason. This is something that used to be a symptom of cults. But now religionism has made it a part of every organized system of order in the world. It's the same but different, realizing that each one is anywhere from 5 to 50% illogical. But since they are in different areas, people are bickering over off of which half of their dick they cut off and which one is worse. Down the middle. Which middle? Which middle is right? It's so insane. They're measuring degrees of rightness, which wouldn't exist if there was absolute truth, if there was an absolute right way. And the more I spoke my personal truth based on logic, seeking positive results in the long-term, consistent positive results, the more I was called crazy, delusional, evil, bad, criminal, you name it. And I started to realize I have been in two, what most of the world, but I never considered cults of this world. But the biggest religionism that I was ever in is the religionism of collective reasoning. This seems to be the religionism that every reasonable person belongs to that doesn't know what the logical fallacies are, that doesn't make that their moral guidelines. This is this is the problem with ethics and morality. Logical fallacies are the same things that to spiritual knowledge is morality. Logical fallacies are to mental intelligence what a moral compass is to spiritual intelligence. And what emotional intelligence calls ethics.
is really just their sense of morality learned from mental intelligence. Really, there are principles at the core of this universe, like logic, like music, like numbers, like patterns, that we can reason our way out of. But understanding the difference between a square and pi takes understanding what self-evident truths mean to reasoning of a perfect square versus pi. This may be confusing if what pi means to you is based on fruit and pastry or cheese and dough. I have never been more spiritually in tune in my life. I have never better understood my moral compass ever in my life. I have never been doing more good in the long term ever in my life. I have never been more productive mentally, intelligently, emotionally, or spiritually ever in my life. But still, people can find the reasons and collect the evidences to support their reasons based on things in my past as to why I'm wrong, bad, criminal, or otherwise. Time will tell. But now I am aware that all of my diagnoses were wrong. I've been validated by this for the people who have originally diagnosed me with the ones that fit best. I realize it does not matter whether or not I have a diagnosis for my overactive thinking that is only overactive from a perspective. Because one perspective is genius, the other perspective is crazy. I don't care either way now. Because I still get both. And I realize I hung on to the idea that I was a genius a lot more when I was afraid that I was crazy. I don't care either way. I am what I am. I want more people to be able to say the same thing. We live in a world of right and wrong and not right, which brings great imbalance as there are more ways to be wrong than there are to be right. I would encourage you to be not wrong because in the long run, it provides better results than trying for this perfectionistic ideal of being right because if you can be wrong in two ways, either by being not right or being wrong, it's only a degree of wrongness at that time and very few people are allowed to say what's right. I know what I'm doing is not right. 
by every intelligent and spiritual reasoning of the matter. What I am doing is not right. But also what I am doing is not wrong. That is the paradox where time is on my side. I realize communication is hard in this world. And I have hope that we can learn to communicate and realize that it took almost 40 years for us to get to the point where we got this bad at communicating with the rise of this magical tool known as personal computing in the internet. We have this magical device in our pocket, not only in first world countries, but every country in the world. This magical tool has also made us really, really weak at communicating. Because as easy as communicating is now, we know how to do it intelligently, but we don't know how to do it emotionally. At first, it was online. Now it's offline too. It's spreading like a digital virus that over four and a half billion people in the world are infected with and experiencing cognitive dissidence with because it doesn't look exactly the same as heroin. But it has the same macro results without the same micro side effects. I see no difference between a functioning addict and the way we've become accustomed to using electronic devices. My personal truth is I started experimenting with self-control when it came to technology well before 2008 when technology became popular for the average person to use if you weren't a technologist. I started exploring solutions years before people even started experimenting with technology on a regular basis. I started questioning what was real on the internet long before I ever hit puberty. I had that mastered long before people started saying, don't trust everything you read on the internet. And my unaware mind was thinking, no shit. But I was not aware that a teenager could understand what other people could only look at with absolute fear. Because to them, don't trust everything you read on the internet meant the same thing as don't trust anything you read on the internet. And that became the norm because people don't say what they mean. They do what they mean. And they would not listen to anything that was found on the internet. But realizing that I would check, recheck, revalidate, continually do so, as easy as people will make a cup of coffee or light up a cigarette or turn on Pornhub, the fact of the matter is, is 
given enough time into adulthood, I was validating my reality the same way people are addicted to sugar, wholly unaware that it's even a problem. I was wholly unaware of their problem because it was working for me and I couldn't understand why there was this divide that I was not aware of. It was not communicated to me. Then I started to read. That probably became my biggest downfall from the point of view of those that knew me. After I read their absolute truths, I needed more because I realized the same thing they started to realize, that it wasn't enough. Turns out the absolute truth isn't enough. But this is only logical. The absolute truth is only absolute in a now. Once that now has passed, after the birth of an absolute truth, after the birth of an idea, it's time for it to change. But absolute truth doesn't tolerate change. So when I was finding the answers I need, and more and more people who had taught me absolute truth, absolute obedience, and I was starting to listen to more and more logic and getting more and more results, it became more and more unbelievable for those around me. They pushed me away and eventually started blaming me for it. This broke my heart. And that's when I started to realize that my emotional and spiritual heart were beating again. I realized that it had been slowly starting. And that's why the motivation was coming again. Not from exterior sources, not from Gary V videos, not from Tony Robbins, but from within me. And it's realizing that the echoed truth from people, whether it be Tony Robbins, Gary V, spiritual leaders throughout time, they were all right. And they were all just like me. All of them were just like me. How could this be so? How could I not be different than these emotional or spiritual geniuses. How could I not be different when they were absolutely different than us? They were absolutely special. Was I duped again? It would seem so. We believe what we're ready for. And we're only ready for what we believe. We live in a reality of multiple realities. My reality is a completely valid reality. Your reality is a completely valid reality. If you follow practices such as heuristics, logical fallacies, checking your bias, all of these things will test the validity of your reality. If you don't do these things, you will be able to reason perfectly in your mind why your reality is valid. But you will not know, you will only know how to believe. This is difficult to explain 
to a true believer, as explanations mean nothing to a true believer unless they support their chosen, true, absolute belief. This is the madness, realizing that I have become quieter than ever because other people can't tolerate my personal truth and realizing I censor myself for my safety because whether it is the alt-right or the alt-left, we need to realize we live in a world of multiple realities, seven and a half realities sharing a reality that is leaning heavily towards dualism, extreme dualism. And the reasonable response seems to be extreme paradox. But I would counter this to apply logic, to find harmony, which is the Eastern philosophical way of saying, find a balance between duality and paradox. Because paradox is where things like love and trust, compassion, charity, kindness live. Duality is where things like nice, right, wrong, mean, where these things live. There is a harmony between duality and paradox that we have lost. And it seems like now it's just a war between the extremes. Extreme duality or extreme paradox. And we've gotten to a point in time where we have a label for this existential realization to find harmony between the two in the past, which was called balance, which was called stability, which was called Enlightenment, depending how far back you go, it has been called many different things. But realizing that sacrificing one for the other out of fear is not what is needed. The answer to dualistic extremism is not dualism. It is not either or. It's finding harmony, finding balance between the two. Reintegration with ourselves. Finding that harmony within on an individual basis. And realizing that there's a common term for this now in our era. It is called an existential crisis. Unfortunately, that seems to feel synonymous with a mental breakdown. Considering who you ask, it is the worst kind of mental breakdown because you're seeking meaning in a meaningless world or in a world where the absolute truth makes you a victim to their distributed control. Not through whips or chains, but through guilt and shame. The greatest weapons on this earth right now are words. 
And this defies everything we've been taught that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But this is not so. Words affect our emotions in the long term. And while we can dismiss words from hurting our feelings, which is what a self-mastered individual would do, so that it doesn't hurt us in the long term. Not being aware or not wanting to believe that it can hurt us in the long term is exactly why people can control their feelings but still be experiencing them on the inside. And this causes deep, festering wounds like cancer that lead to much worse decisions than addressing it on the spot so that you aren't processing somebody else's feelings that came out as words. And realizing it's doing this process as a child that is required to have the emotional intelligence, to have the self-mastery, to not feel a certain way when somebody says something because you care about your long-term emotional health. But if you believe that you care about your long-term emotional health and somebody says something and you don't react, but you can't immediately forget it, well, my friend, That's a self-evident truth that you need emotional intelligence. Some of the most intelligent thinkers in this world have lacked emotional intelligence. Some of them have lost empires because they lacked emotional intelligence. Some of them have regained empires because they gained emotional intelligence. But from dualistic versions of perfectionism, where imperfections don't exist, there is nothing but harsh judgments for these individuals. Where what we need is a rebirth of a movement that wasn't able to take off the ground because the person who lifted it off was a female. A female by sex. I don't want to assume a gender or feminine or masculine. Obviously, they had harmony between the masculine and feminine because this woman blew the lid off of the mental health slave camps in America, known as Nellie Bly. She was the Rosa Parks, but there was no Martin Luther King Jr. to follow. There was no Martin Luther King Jr. to champion this message home. And what we need is the most unlikely solution. We need a Martin Luther King Jr., a Harvey Milk for mental health to carry on. Nellie Bly 
in the spirit of her effort in today's age, blow the lid off of this mental unhealth phenomenon festering under the fear of getting mental health help. We need a Martin Luther King Jr., a Nellie Bly. We need a Harvey Milk of mental health today. We need it now. We need it today. I don't, I don't know if I can even believe that I'm even allowed to even attempt this as a white, cisgendered, straight, male, heterosexual. I am the most hated label of them all, coming from what is considered the most privileged, entitled class in America. Despite the fact that my father worked to the bone as a slave for a system that he believed in, and my wife followed him, trying to hold a family together, doing something she wasn't sure of, because duality creates divides even between loving couples that cannot be spoken for fear that they are real. And these divides go unspoken. Siloed lives. Less and less communication. Picture perfect on the outside. Picture perfect on paper. But the emotional well has run dry. Hope has given up. Debts become unimaginable despite the fact year after year making small fortunes to realize the unfortunate, inconvenient truth that you can work as hard as it takes to become a millionaire and still be in the middle class And debt seems to find a way in a system that's rigged against you when you have your nose to the grindstone that you can't question the system that keeps betraying you. No matter if the economics are capitalistic or socialistic, it seems like they work in tandem to fuck people up when they expect it the least and not give anyone a person to blame. Because if there's no specific person to blame, no one can be held accountable. And nobody gets what they need. And everyone feels like there's no way to get what they want. The sad truth is, is the reasoning behind the extreme paradox of what 
the alt-right started to call the alt-left out of the need for a dualistic response has made an entire class of people that aren't allowed to talk feel afraid for their lives when they're already beaten down and destroyed. Hopeless. Pushed into silence, even if they can afford to not be silent. Realize that it doesn't matter if no one will listen. We need a champion. We need a champion who will not lead us, but can give us hope. Not order from chaos, but order through chaos. Fuck perfectionism. All we need is love. Love is all we need. We need a revolution of love. We need to stop arguing about whose divide is worse and let it be. Find a way to move forward. Move along this long and winding road, not knowing what the end looks like, but follow hope. Follow a vision for anything better and realize that no idea that has gotten us this far is going to be good enough to get us to the next spot in life. The dualistic response to capitalism was socialism. We need something beyond economics. We need something beyond analog or smart level of governments. We need a quantum solution for a quantum world of interconnectivity, of holistic connectivity, of quantum connectivity. We need quantum solutions. It is time for a creative solution to a logical problem. And this logical problem is that reason has defied logic and we need to get creative. We need to break reason. It is not either or. It is something new, something radically new, something that is neither good nor bad, but decent. We need a decent solution. Because whether or not it is centralized paradox or centralized dualism, neither one have proven to work through time. And both sides seem to be delusional that they can finally get it to work if we just go back or if we just try again. We need a decent solution. We need a decentralized solution. We have the tools if we choose to pick them up. We just need to start looking at what's already in front of us as a tool and not as an escape. We need to accept our harsh reality that just because the game has changed and addiction no longer needs to be a substance, 
that we need to find a way to master ourselves. Like a doctor who is addicted to drugs does not need to say that, okay, we can't have drugs in this hospital so I can be a doctor. No, they buck up. They don't just practice self-control. They practice self-mastery. They realize that every choice matters, and especially the ones that we're not aware are choices, and they dig deep. We need to do the same, and we can. There is so much hope. When we're afraid Because we don't know what's next 5, 10, 15 choices down the line. We give our power away to people who seem to know what the next choice is. But in reality, there is only ever the next choice. Because once we make our choice, our next choice, even if we expected the choice after to be one thing, we can be met with the reality that it is something different. There is only ever the next choice. Every other choice afterwards is a speculation. Anyone who says that they know what the choice is past this next choice has been conning us long before we have people alive to remember when it started or how exactly it started. We need to let go of knowing why and just start doing. As my wife showed me that thinking can be my enemy and doing will provide me the results that I needed to know personally what is right. We need to lift our heads up and carry on. This is everything. This is a revolution of love. It does not need violence. It does not need marches. It needs us to sit down and turn our thoughts inside. To ask why. We need to sit. We need to sit and collectivize. Follow Dr. King, in his example, realizing that marches led to nothing good on either side of the marches. It led to charged feelings. So he worked to discharge those feelings by switching to sit-ins. We need to follow this wisdom hidden in the finer details. Realize it feels better to march than it does to sit, but it gets more done. These are the thoughts that are explored when we turn inwards and ask why and ask ourselves how we can let go and just start doing it. Realize that the only person that can explain to you how to let go is you. You just have to ask yourself and listen long enough to hear the counter-conditional, maybe even counterintuitive truth. Because realize that With collective reasoning, your intuition has gotten weak. So even what you consider intuition could just be another form of collective reasoning that you've memorized and don't even remember where you learned it. 
These are the experiences that I learned, not from success, but from failure. And my life is a history of failure. And now that I realize that failing does not make me a failure, I have a new love and appreciation and empathy for the word failure. Failure gives me hope of something I get to work on. And when I am not worried about becoming a failure, it becomes so much easier to push forward and keep doing. We need to take the risk to do. Realize that this fear of trying leads us on an endless search for explanations that never help us do, but only teach us how to try. We have the answers we seek. And there are many nice and feel-good con men around the world that are so busy appealing to a certain group of people that they don't care if they piss off everyone else. They don't care if they piss off other people who are also too nice to say anything about them. They don't care if they piss off other people and they aren't too nice. There's essentially cult leaders of niceness and cult leaders of anger. But in the end, they provide the same long-term results. Not absolutely, but systematically, we just live in a world where we've gotten so weak at listening We can't see what's right in front of us. Because when cognitive dissonance becomes the norm, ignorance becomes the default. So what I say to you is let go of your anger and negativity and hatred and start asking why. Start with yourself. Don't get on anyone else's case for not asking why. That will happen. With quantum deep thoughts, we can ask why for ourselves and resist the impulse to dictate to other people that they should be asking why more, realizing that it takes a certain level of listening to be able to Help other people asking why without explaining it to them. That we need to lead by example. Explanations will not serve us whether we are on the side of duality or on the side of paradox. Whether or not duality makes you feel angry or whether or not paradox makes you feel afraid or confused. These are just excuses for not taking a risk on finding balance. No one has all the answers. And I'm sure that we can find a better way beyond all the ideas that exist. There are ideas that can't even take root These are the ones that provide the most hope.
The world is changing. For all those that hear my message and rejoice, know that there are hundreds of millions of others going through the same process of you. And we are all starting up a library of consciousness, which is a free public service thanks to the zero marginal cost magic of digital society preparing to be a decentralized public service. This tool will help us collect our thoughts, collect our knowledge, get to know ourselves better, help others to get to know us better. This is everything you know how to do. Making playlists, sharing videos, all of these things that you are familiar with, are second nature to you, used to waste time or educate yourself, can be used in the library of consciousness. If you want to see an example of this library of consciousness project, to make one of your own, go to libraryofconsciousness.com and you can see my library of consciousness And you can go there for hope or you can go there for ridicule. But realize that it's my library of consciousness. It is not a safe place. Depending on whether or not you choose negativity or positivity. My library of consciousness nurtures good ideas that don't need to be enforced whether this enforcement is through violence or mockery or threats. Those are the things that don't exist in my library of consciousness. Those are the things that I have the power to tolerate or not. If you have a library of consciousness, you too can have one of your own. Please feel free to ask and my NGO will help you set up your library of consciousness. And together we can collectivize in a way that cannot be censored, cannot be controlled. You are the individual. You are the central individual in your reality. Take your power back because it was not removed from you. It does not reside elsewhere. It resides in you, and you were distracted from it. You were distracted from it with all sorts of lingual and psychological and technological magic <laughs> coming from a background of psychology and technology. I realize that magic is only knowledge that is not commonplace and usually provides tools that seem like magical tools. So while these tools will seem like magic to some, they will not to others. They will seem like technology or knowledge. We are open sourcing hope. 
We are open sourcing love and it does not need to happen in one place. This can happen anywhere. The Library of Consciousness Project is not something that exists on social media. It is not something that exists on Facebook. It is not something that exists on Twitter. It is not something that exists on a forum. It is something that exists in the hearts, in minds, in harmony all across the globe, in every single heart and mind on this globe. It does not reside anywhere other than in you. This means that while my library of consciousness may be one place, yours may be anywhere, that it can provide the same tools necessary for you to get to know yourself better. Fortunately, many of these tools are free to use anyways, and more of them are becoming more free to use. This is why this is a sustainable project. It only takes time and attention, the two most important currencies in this world. And I'm asking you to invest time into paying attention to yourself. There is so much hope. There is so much love that I didn't know existed in this world. And I want you to be aware of your hope and your importance that you can find within. Shine that light within. Stop listening to others to tell you to shine it out to others if you don't know where your light comes from within. Even if it's intelligently explained where it comes from elsewhere, but you. You need to find your own light before you believe in any stories of how to amplify your light. How can you amplify your light if you have not lit it? If you are distraught, if when you are alone and things are still, that you are not happy, that you are doubtful, that you are worried, that you are anxious, if when you are perfectly alone, you are perfectly anxious, please join us at libraryofconsciousness.com. Thank you.